Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Today I want to talk about something that I think is extremely important. Not just in the areas of bluegrass music and jamming and being in bands and all that but your entire life from the day you can first speak until you take that last breath this is very important and i'll just come out with it right from the get-go whether you know it or not and i would say that most people don't know it your primary occupation. You may think your occupation is, oh, I'm a librarian. I, I work at a library, and when people bring the books up, I check them out, and I tell them about the little event that's coming up this weekend, and I take in the return books, and then sometimes I don't really like it because I have to go up and down the stairs, but I I have to shelve books and... Once in a blue moon, I answer the phone or I show people how to make copies. I'm a librarian, and it's it's a free library, so I'm a librarian. Or maybe you say, well, I'm a customer service representative, and I sit at my computer in a cubicle, and I take phone calls from customers who are having some sort of difficulty, and I pull up their account, and I look to see why their web server is not functioning as it's supposed to, and I give them instructions on how to fix this, or I'll fix it for them. So I'm a customer service representative. Or you might say, well, I'm retired. You know, for years I worked for the FAA, and I changed tubes out in the basement in all the old computers that ran the radar screens upstairs. I did that for 20 years, and then I became a, a barber. I went to barber school, and I became a barber. And I cut people's hair and told jokes and stuff, and then I retired from that, and now I sit around and I'm, you know, I'm learning to play the banjo. Whatever your job is, what most people don't realize is that their job is actually salesman. And I know that is a politically incorrect term to say salesman. But I was born in 1959, so I'm, you know, I'm just going to use the lingo that was given to me. You could say salesperson or saleswoman. Let's put it this way. Everybody is in sales. And there's this, there's this zeitgeist, the, the winds that are blowing through society, affecting people's views on things. And there becomes this upswelling of everyone's thinking alike because they've heard the same message over and over drilled into them from listening to NPR or listening to, it doesn't matter what you listen to, you're going to get little inputs into your brain. And then pretty soon, 
the majority of the society starts thinking similarly, like for example, don't say salesman, say salesperson. That was implanted into you. You didn't think of that on your own. It was implanted and it soon takes over. And then when a majority or even a small vocal minority takes this on, then you'll probably just take it on because you don't want to make waves. You don't want to cause any trouble. You don't want to start arguing with that person over there, you know. So you check your words. You go, salesperson, salesperson, that, that, that person in sales. And you meant to say that, that guy in the sales department, that salesman. And you check your words and you jump on the bandwagon and you make the wave even bigger. And pretty soon the entire society is thinking alike. So this wave that has taken over society of late is that why should we pay for anything? Everything is free, 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 free. YouTube is free. The internet is free. I can Google and get the lyrics to any song I want. It's for, it's free, 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 free. And now it has become, you're almost considered to be a low class citizen. If you're selling something, if you're giving it away, it's great. Uh, there's an example I want to talk about. Um, I might as well, it's my podcast. I'll just talk about it. There's a guy who has a, how to set up your mandolin free ebook. Great. Hey, I got free ebooks too. I got tons of free stuff on my side. I'm not against free information. And I'm not against giving to others without expecting anything in return. You have to do that to get along in society. What I find disturbing is that the zeitgeist, the 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 cloud of societal uh, beliefs latches on to those things and assigns to them a positive, a little symbol over it, like this is good. And then if somebody is, has the very, very, very similar product, how to set up your mandolin, $9.95 plus shipping and handling. Bad. It gets the bad symbol. So there's this, now, let me, let me stop right there. Those good and bad symbols that are attached by someone recommending it or suggesting it, hey, check this out, this is free. Hey, this guy, this is really great. I, I just think that's really great that he's doing this for free. Look, that's not what makes it good or bad. What makes it good or bad is what's in it. Now, I have gotten the free how to set up your mandolin ebook. I, 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 all you had to do was send him an email and he would send it to you. And I read through it, you know, just to see what it was and see if the guy really knew what he was talking about. And it is good. He has done his research. He has, um, well, at the time I got the book, it may have changed. It's been a few years at the time I got the book ebook. 
the free ebook. It um, it gave a very well thought out and very. I mean, it, it's very detailed and it it's good in terms of content. But what I want to separate is: is it good because of the content, or is it good because it's free and some guy's just going to give it to you because he loves you? Or I don't know why the guy does this. You know, I I don't know. I know why I do the free stuff, and I'm just going to be brutally honest. I give away all the free stuff. Now, I'm not talking about when I'm sitting in a jam session and somebody is next to me and they're having trouble with a cord and I help them out. I don't expect anything in return. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about why do I put all this free stuff on the Internet? Why do I have free mandolin lessons, free how to play bluegrass guitar lessons, free dulcimer lessons, free banjo lessons? Why do I do it? Brutally honest, because I know people are looking for free stuff. Everybody wants something for free, so I give it to them. Because that attracts them to my little my little spider web, you know, where hopefully I can, like one of those bola spiders that slings that little sticky ball and throws it at the, at the victim, the little June bug that's landed in his web. You know, I would like to reel you in and get you to buy something. So that I can put food in the refrigerator and gas in the car and pay the property taxes. And you get it. You do the same thing. This is what, when I say we're all salesmen, it's a false and kind of shallow belief to think that, well, I'm not a salesman. You know, because my when I fill out my taxes at the end of the year, I put down, I am a historian. Or I put down, I am a kindergarten teacher. Or I put down, I am a church organist. Whatever your occupation is, all of those occupations are salesmen. Every one of them. Not only the occupation of what you do when you go to work, but what you do when you get up in the morning. When you talk to your kids. When I'm getting Jackson ready for school, I'm a salesman. I'm trying to get him to eat his breakfast. I'm trying to watch the clock. Make sure we get everything done in time. Look, son, if you need to go to the bathroom, go do it now. Don't wait 15 minutes because in 21 minutes we're leaving the house. I'm selling. Always selling. We're all selling. Now, some some people are a little more obvious about it than others. Oh, and by the way, if you go to my show notes page, which I'm always encouraging you to do because I can put things there that you know, if you're riding down the road, it's difficult for you to write down a website link or whatever. I really like the, the guy's how to set up your mandolin ebook. And just so that he knows, his name is Rob Meldrum. He's talked about voluminously all over the mandolin forums because everybody loves a free something. And I like the book. I read it. I like it. It's, it's, it's a very good dissertation on how to do your basic setup on a mandolin. So if you want a free copy of Rob Meldrum's ebook, I will put a link to it or I'll put the information on how to get it. There's not actually a website, but I will, I will give you the information. All you have to do is go to grassstockradio.com, slide down to this episode, click it, and you'll be on the show notes page. You know that routine. And I'll put a little information how you too can get your copy of Rob Meldrum's how to, I don't know the exact title, but it's basically how to set up your mandolin. It's very good. It's very thorough. 
Now, on the other side of the coin, I want to mention that I, too, have a How to Set Up Your Mandolin ebook. It's called The Mandolin Handbook. I wrote it. It was the third book in my series of instructional books that, I, that began in 2006. I think Mandolin Handbook came out, or 2005. The handbook came about 2007 because at that time... I looked around, there were some books on banjo set up and a lot of books on guitar set up, but I could not find anybody who had published anything for how to set up your mandolin. So I sat down and I started working on it and it does cover how to set up your mandolin, but I wrote it as if it were an owner's manual. Like you bought a mandolin and there's nothing in there but the receipt and maybe the warranty card. And there's nothing in there about how to adjust the bridge or set the intonation or adjust the nut or the truss rod. They don't tell you any of that. Generally speaking, there may be some manufacturers who do include that sort of information. But typically, you know, that's not included with the sale of the mandolin, un unlike your motor vehicle, which you drive off the lot and there's this, you know, one inch thick book to tell you how to adjust the back seat belts, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's in there. They'll give it to you with a manual. So I wrote the owner's manual. I basically have the same content. There is all that information about how to set up your mandolin, plus a lot of other things, how to put a strap on. Uh, what about humidity? What about cases? What about, I cover all sorts of stuff, including a little quickie history on the on mandolin and a, and a section about how mandolins are constructed, different types, you know, the plywood mandolin versus the, the solid wood and the carved tops and the Stradivarius arching and the tone bars. And I, you know, all this stuff is illustrated and discussed in this book. What's different about my book than Rob Meldrum's and, you know, God love him. Hey, you know, more power to him. What's different about mine is I ask you to give me some money and then I'll give it to you. You give me the money, I give you the book. As an ebook, you download it. That's the difference. And, you know, I've puzzled over this for a long time. I think now it's quite obvious why I have free stuff. I, I said it before in a podcast. I'm like that lady in the grocery store that has the little pizza rolls and you come by and she's got this little oven set up and she's making the little whatever brand pizza rolls and would you like to try try a sample of these pizza rolls you know and they're on special today and everybody goes up and gets one on the little toothpick and you eat it and go mm -hmm, that's pretty good and then you walk on or maybe you say well okay i'll take one she'll hand you a little coupon and, you know but why is that lady there well she's there because she needs the money she would not, she's not standing there out of the love of the pizza rolls that she's, if they told her to look today where it's cheese samples and tomorrow it's, uh, you know, hot chocolate samples. It, she wouldn't care. She's not there because she loves the product. She's there because she needs to make some money and this is a job and she's, you know, reading the script and saying and doing what they tell her to do. And I, I'm sure it's a very low paying job, but the company has her out there giving out the free samples so that you'll try it. And if you like it, maybe you'll buy it. Well, that's the exact same thing I do. I put the stuff up there. I, you know, if you've gone through any of my free lessons, if you've 
looked at my free mandolin lessons over at bradleylaird.com. Just hit free mandolin lessons or free banjo lessons or free climber banjo lessons or free dulcimer lessons, whatever. If you go to any of those, you're going to get, if you go through a couple of the lessons, you're going to understand my mindset and my teaching style, you know, and then I'm going to suggest things like, Hey, now that you learn how to do this, check this out. And I'm going to funnel you over to the things that actually bring in some money so that I can do all this stuff, you know, and, and it's a lot more elaborate and more, um, I don't want to say more well thought out. It's just that when you deliver to someone a whole lot more, you have to ask a little something for it. It's like, you know, all life is a transaction. And I don't think people realize that. So I started this by saying that you're a salesman too. There's this like visceral reaction to being sold that we all have because we've had some bad sales experiences. We've had, you know, the strong arm technique. Anybody that's ever bought a car has gone through that sweat inducing heart rate advancing. It's a nightmare to buy a car at a car dealership because these guys study this stuff. They know exactly how to make you twist and squirm and push that piece of paper over and say, just initial here. It's a nightmare. So we all had those bad sales experiences. So we begin to reject the idea. We don't, we don't like being sold. We don't, we don't like being sold. Hard selling, arm twisting, that sort of thing. But you have to think about yourself. You may be that librarian. You are selling. When you show up on time. You're selling yourself to the boss as being punctual. When you're friendly with the customers, you're selling yourself to the customer and to the boss. And sometimes it goes through the customer back to the boss or through the little suggestion box or the little customer comments card or through your tip. You're selling yourself as being attentive and knowledgeable and through your actions and your words, you're always selling yourself. It's true in relationships. Anybody that has ever dated, and that's probably most adults, it all starts with selling. Now, admittedly, most people don't know how to sell themselves. A few have learned, you know, some of the sales tricks. You know, think back in high school, the guy that always was, you know, like dating the, the uh, number one cheer, cheerleader, you know, well, he had the tricks down. And so he seemed really successful at selling. But everybody is selling. When you're dating, you're selling yourself. So you are trying to portray yourself in such a way that you are looked on favorably. But the bottom line, and this is what makes the difference between the second trombonist in the band who's selling, pitching himself for a date with, a, you know, a, a third chair clarinetist who he thinks is kind of cute. He's, he's selling himself to her. He doesn't know what he's doing, but he's making his sales pitch. What's the difference between his success rate 
and the high school quarterback who asks the cheerleader out for a date and bam, they're off to the pizza joint and the uh, trombonist, it takes him weeks, maybe months to even get up the courage to say to that little, um, Clarinetist with the with the thick glasses that you know, uh, you know maybe maybe they could go to the library and he could help her uh, study for her history exam or what's the difference? One of them is asking for the sale, and the other one is beating around the bush. You can beat around the bush all day long. But ultimately, if you don't ask for the sale, which is, hey, baby, want to go to Dairy Queen? That's asking for the sale. You're either going to get a yes or no. That's all. That's only two choices. You might get a maybe, you know, maybe, maybe tomorrow. Okay, well, how about tomorrow? And now you've eliminated it down to a yes or no. You got to ask for the sale and you do it every day. When you ask your kid to brush his teeth, you are asking the kid, you're persuading the kid to put down the iPad and go in there and brush his teeth. Sometimes you got to nudge them a little harder, but in the end, you know, it's the best thing for them. So you don't feel guilty. It's not like you're trying to get the kid to, uh, you know, do something that isn't good for them. And that's the way I look at my stuff. I know that if you're a, a bluegrass player or beginner on any one of these instruments and you want to learn how to play that thing. And I don't feel guilty. I don't stay up at night thinking, Oh man, I ripped those people off today. Oh, the, all those suckers that bought my banjo instruction course. What a bunch of fools. I don't think that at all because I know what I'm giving you is that thing that will move you towards your goal. I'm not grabbing people off the street and, you know, taking some truck driver and say, Hey man, you should play the banjo. And here's my banjo instruction course. I don't do that. They already have to want to do it. And then they're jumping around on YouTube videos and trying all these different things. And they bought books and they need somebody to kind of steer them down the path that will actually get them there. And that's what I try to do. So I sleep good at night, but I want a transaction to take place. I want to give you something that you need. I'm going to give you the free samples and they're good too. You could learn an awful lot just from the free samples. You could eat pretty well, just jumping from bar to bar, just eating the free hors d'oeuvres, you know, but there's going to come up a, a point where, you know, you're not getting balanced nutrition by hitting the free hors d'oeuvres at all the happy hours that sometimes you need to sit down to a good meal down at Granny's Kitchen where she serves up the collard greens and the butter beans, and maybe some fried chicken or that country fried steak. And do you want biscuit or cornbread with that? And here's some tea. And we got banana pudding. You're not going to walk in there and get that meal for free. Sorry, folks. You're not. Now you might when you go over to Granny's on Sunday afternoon. I'm not saying that some of these things are not available for free. They are because sometimes you just love people and you just do for them. I do that with folks. I don't do it with everybody because I don't love everybody. I don't even know everybody. How can I love you if I don't know you? 
but I generally like folks, but I, I do believe in trading and I don't feel guilty for selling. What mystifies me is, is the, uh, like old Rob with his, his, um, how to set up your mandolin free ebook. I, I, the thing that puzzles me is why he does it. I, I don't know. For a while, I thought, well, maybe he's planning on launching a, you know, mandolin marketing thing, and he's collecting email addresses so that he can, you know, contact all the mandolin owners, and the, you know, maybe he's selling that email list to makers of mandolin cases or something. I don't, I don't know. I just could never put my finger on why somebody does it. But then again, there's a lot of things people do that I, I don't know why they did it. There were when I used to live in in. Uh, on the south side of Atlanta, when I would travel down through Brooks, Georgia, there was a guy, had some property there, who was building his own pyramid. It was a house, but he was building a pyramid-shaped house. I guess if he figured, if he positioned his bedroom, the master bedroom, right where the king's chamber was, and he slept there every night, maybe he would live to be 180 or something. I don't know what the guy's motivation is. Sometimes you just can't figure out why somebody does what they did. But it was cool to drive by there and see this pyramid being constructed. I don't know if it's still there or not, but I'm sure he had a lot of trouble with the permits department. And the inspectors probably came out and scratching their head like, well, this ain't in a code book. But anyway, the guy built himself a pyramid-shaped house. Uh, I had another guy, it was, it was a banjo student of mine. And we, we get to talking, and... He had built himself an underground house in Jonesboro, Georgia, kind of down around Mundy's Mill area. This guy had an underground house. And I said, I've got to see this house. So he gave me the address and he told me where to go. And I, I drove over there one day just to see his underground house. And I couldn't find it because the damn thing was underground. I saw the mailbox and I drove, I drove down this driveway and that driveway and this drive. I couldn't find a stupid underground house. So when he came to his lesson the next week, I said, I, 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 I came over there, but I, I just couldn't find it. And he gave me a little more explicit directions. Well, you know, when you cross, when you see Bob's mailbox, just fall, veer to the right a little bit and look down that hill down there and you'll see a blah, blah, blah. You know? And I, I eventually did get a little quickie tour of the underground house. Why do people do this? I don't know. I mean, I've done a lot of weird stuff too. Probably people would look at me and go, why did you build those seven banjos that are hanging on your wall? I'm, well, I don't know. It just felt like it. So sometimes it's hard to put a motive on things and not everything, you know, can be, it's not like the A, B. I, you know, because of A, therefore B. Some things are not like that. Some things are just kind of random and you, you don't know why people are doing it. But, you know, that when I talked about cause and effect in a previous episode, I mentioned that, I believe there always is a cause. So if you're doing something, even if the cause is unknown, even to yourself, I think there still is a reason for almost pretty much everything we do. You know? But I think my my reasons are very obvious. Why am I doing this podcast? I want to give you information that no one else is giving you. Nobody, to my knowledge, is doing a podcast for people who play bluegrass or want to learn how to play it and sticks primarily with that subject. There, there's a lot of things you could learn from other podcasts that would help you 
play bluegrass. But mine is just that. I mean, I'm just going to stick with that. I am just here to talk about bluegrass and how to be better at it and how to get more out of it and how to do the things you want to do with bluegrass music. That's what I'm here to do. That's what I'm giving you. But what are you giving me? What are you giving me your attention? feels good to look over there and, you know, put out a new episode. And then I look at it later in the day and there's 88 downloads. I'm like, hey, that feels pretty good. I like that attention. That's probably why I got into bluegrass in the first place. I always wanted to be on stage. Even back before bluegrass when I did magic. There must be something in my personality that needs a little attaboy, a little applause, a little pat on the back. I, you know, I, it's too late to change my personality, but I enjoyed that. I enjoyed getting that feedback and seeing downloads is, is almost as good as getting a round of, a, of a limp applause after a mandolin solo at a, at a, uh, some sort of bluegrass festival or show or something. I like that feedback. You, you may not need or want that. I've had a lot of students that I felt like had no desire to, that, that was not their interest at all. And I don't know exactly what their interest was, why they were really doing it. Maybe they were just one of these inquisitive types that just, they, they really liked going to festivals and they really liked watching these guitar players pick and these banjo players. Maybe they just trying to figure out what they're doing. I, I, you know, some, sometimes it's hard to figure out people's motivations. But at the end of the day, every single person, be it a bluegrass picker or I'm telling you, everybody, everybody is selling all the time. Jackson comes up to me. He's selling me all the time. He's selling. He's selling. He's trying to make that exchange. Get me to do something for him. He'll do something for me. We do it all day long. And a lot of it just goes unnoticed. I think it'd just be good to, at the end of this, just stop and get your little notepad and sit there and think about what are some of the things that you do in the course of a week in an attempt to get other people to think or act some way. If you're not doing anything to get anyone else to think or act differently, then you're probably dead. That's, that's all I'm saying. Everybody's doing this constantly from what they wear to, uh, the cologne they, they put on, what brand of tennis shoes they wear, what they, they drive, you know, what kind of jokes do they tell? Where do they hang out? And as a bluegrass player, you're selling yourself too. When you go in to your first jam session, you will either try to remain completely invisible, which is pretty common, or when somebody comes up to talk to you, you're going to make a little sales pitch about who you are. Well, you know, I've, I've only been playing three months. I just got this mandolin and, you know, I just like to learn to, you know, play along a little bit. And by the way, y'all, y'all sound so good and, what you're doing is selling yourself as a, I'm a beginner. I could use a little help and I could use a little sympathy. I, I could use, you know, don't be too hard on me. You know, 
except me. You're selling yourself. It's like dating, you know? And then maybe you're that player who's been playing a few years and you, you've got, you've put the work in and you've made the investment of time to get your playing a lot better. And you've gained a lot more experience going around to different jams and bluegrass festivals. And you even started a little band and played a few gigs. And then you find out that this band, their mandolin player just had a heart attack and died and they got an opening. And you think to yourself, boy, it would sure be fun to play with those guys. So you decide to go see them. Or you bump into one of them. Or you call one of them up. You call the band leader up. You're going to start selling yourself. Because you're not going to get any gigs. You're not going to be in a band if you don't sell yourself through some method. It may be so subconscious that like you just hang around with people until they feel obligated to ask you. That's one way of selling. I told the story about the Dobro player that showed up at a Pony Express gig and got up and played a few tunes with us. And then the next week got there early and was set up and ready to go to play. He was going to just join the band without even talking to us about it. That's a form of selling. It's not, it wasn't very effective in that case. You know, we had a little talk with him at the end of the night and uh, he played with us that night. But at the end of the night, we, you know, explain to him that we weren't really looking for a Dobro player at that time. But what he did was a form of selling because he wanted a, he wanted something different. He wanted to be playing with us, obviously. And he positioned himself in such a way to advertise that fact. So he was selling, uh, you know, you're selling all the time. And I'm solid all the time. Sometimes it's not money. Sometimes it's just trade. It's like when you, when you go over to your neighbors, when a tree is falling across his driveway and you grab your chainsaw and run over there and help him cut up the tree. Yes. You're being altruistic and you're helping your neighbor and you, you say to yourself, I'm not asking anything in return, but I think that's really a lie. Because the, the good things that we do for other people, way down deep inside of us, we then expect them to do something for us. I think it's wrong to keep little scores of that stuff. Like, well, I've been over there three times and helped him do this and this and this. And, and the day our water went out, did, did he come over and help me? To blah, blah, you know, keeping score is, is bad, you know, and you'll build up a lot of negative energy because you tend to do a lot more for other people than they do for you. You know, I get a lot more visitors to the website, to the free stuff than I get to the, over to the store where they buy things. So you can't let that stuff eat away at you, but you got to keep giving. You don't get anything for free in life. If you want to be a better mandolin player, you must give in order to receive. Be it your time or your money. And really money is just a substitute for time. If you don't apply yourself and pour the work into it, you're never going to be as good as Mike Marshall, Chris Thiele, name them, you name them. You are never going to be as good or even as good as half as good as them. If you don't put in the work.
You have to give in order to receive. It's not always about money. It's usually about time. So I, I think you should just observe what's going on, all this this culture of freebiness that's that's pervading, you know. Oh, this software is free. I can download this this free software. It's uh, what do they call it now? The uh, the uh, Creative Commons license. We release this software, and I think okay. So these guys built this web browser, and they they just give it away for free. They got nothing else to do. They just build this incredibly complex thing, and they do updates, and there's all these you know, coders working on this free browser, you know, I'm thinking who, who pays for their, that hamburger they, they eat, who pays their light bill? You know, it's hard to put your finger on, but I can assure you at the end of the day, there is always a transaction taking place. There's no free lunch folks. Learning to play music requires a lot of work. Joining the music community and being an active part of it, being a member of a band, even being asked to attend jam sessions requires selling on your part. You have to sell yourself. And you do it every day. You're really good at it. So just think about that in terms of how does that relate to bluegrass music. And I think that you will make better progress and achieve more of your goals. If you think I am selling myself. So how do I portray myself? And with all selling, if you're going to receive, if you're going to give, you have to give in order to receive. I don't know why that was so hard to say. You must give to receive. If you're the type that shows up at a jam session and expects everybody to fall down on their knees and help you and do all these, think about what are you giving to them? Bring a box of donuts. Bring a six-pack. Be friendly. Smile. You know, you know, I mean, you're giving. You're giving in order to receive. We all do it all day long. Everything is a transaction, and anybody that's been married knows that is true. We don't like to think of it that way because it, we think it cheapens the relationship. I just love him because he's wonderful. No, you love him because he takes the trash out. And when your car broke down and you called him, he was Johnny on the spot and came over there and fixed your tire. That's not the only reason. You know, but the way relationships start is often like emotional. But the way they progress is transactional. I'm doing for you and honey, I expect you to do for me, you know, keep a balance going between things. And the same is true when somebody's trying to sell you a product like me, well, maintain that balance. I'm going to give you stuff like this free podcast, like my blog, like all, you know, free lessons or whatever. And I expect that, uh, you know, a certain percentage of you will understand why I'm doing it and give back to me. And this seems like, to some of you, a sales pitch. And I'm just telling you that's because you have been indoctrinated into this belief that anybody who's asking money for something is somehow bad. But why don't you think that when you go buy gas at the gas station, you give them the money and you get the gas and you don't go, that gas station is evil. <laughs> you don't do it. 
because you haven't been indoctrinated by the someone to think that gas stations are evil. Same thing when you go buy a pizza or a new pair of shoes. You, you don't think about that at all. You go in, they say the shoes are $65, and you go, okay. We we trade and transact all the time, but uh, suddenly when some guy's got a a thing, it's hard to put a hard to put a value on. It's hard to hard hard to monetize. What is it worth to be a good mandolin player? What is it worth to be a guitar player who can walk into a jam and you know play well? What what is that worth? That's that's not you know like. Two forty nine and nine tenths of a cent, and I like that nine tenths at the gas station. That really implies we have we are really splitting hairs here with exactly how much this gas is worth. Nine tenths of a cent. People don't even pick up pennies. I, I find pennies all the time laying on the ground at, at the gas station in the parking lot. And I always pick them up. I don't care if they're heads or tails. A penny's a penny. So they, they've they've conditioned you to think that the price of milk and the price of gas and the price of a pizza, very well defined, this is what a large cheese pizza is worth. But it's hard to put a monetary figure on what is the value of being able to play music, you know, feeling good about your solo, you know, what's the value of that? And I'm just here to say that I think it's worth a lot more than what I ask for the material that will help you get there. Because I've spent 40 years doing this stuff and had a tremendous amount of fun and some struggles and some, you know, not every gig was the, you know, the thing. It was just such a blast. Some of them were just a lot of work standing in the hot sun, sweating, you know, because the guy didn't, he put you in the middle of a parking lot with hot sun beating down on you. But there's value in playing music. Your initial entry into playing music may not, you may not be doing it because you think of the value. You just may be curious or you may be interested or fascinated or whatever. But as you play it, you'll begin to see the value of it. And I'll tell you, you really see this with children. When you see a child start from nothing and be able to play a song, Johnny, come in here, get your guitar. Play that song. Sing that song. And you see, you know, Aunt Helen and Uncle Ed over there and Aunt Lou and Uncle John. They're watching little Johnny play the song and they just love it. There's value in music. And so, therefore, there's value in playing music and learning how to play music. And I try to keep all my stuff to where what I ask for, what I give is far below what I perceive the real value of what you get out of it will be to you. Man, this thing has been an entire sales pitch. But hey, we're all selling. You're selling, I'm selling. Everybody's selling. I don't care what they sell. Y'all have a good. I'll talk to you in the next podcast. But now she's gone. I don't worry. Cause I'm sitting on top of the world If you don't like my peaches Get out of my 
my tree Get out of my orchard, Lord, it'll be your bee Nash is gone, I don't worry Cause I'm sitting on top of the world 